someone who obviously knows how I operate sent me a tweet last night and said, can this please not be what you talk about tomorrow? And he's referring to, of course, Fartgate, the fart heard around the world, the fart that changed the course of history. That is uh, Representative Eric Swalwell farting on live TV last night. This person who sent me this obviously knows me well, but at the same time knows me not at all because there is no way that I could open the show the day after such an event talking about anything but this story. We could literally have landed on Mars in the meantime and discovered a sentient race of unicorns who possess the cure to diabetes and herpes, and I still would be talking about this first. Why? Well, because it's clearly the most important political story of our time. I dare you to come up with a more important story. Can you? But it's a story like any political story that is not without controversy. So first, let's uh, let's go right to the tape. You've already seen the footage, but we're going to go and we're going to look at it again. We're going to use our eyes and our ears and our even even our noses. And we're going to try to, to, to uh, take a closer look. Um, here is Chris uh, or, or Eric Swalwell with Chris Matthews talking about, well, I don't know what he was talking about. It doesn't matter. It's not the conjectures of his mouth we are concerned with right now, but take a listen. The evidence is uncontradicted that the president used taxpayer dollars to ask the Ukrainians to help him cheat an election. And the complaint that I've heard from... Now, Swalwell, uh, according to a BuzzFeed report, has denied that he was the source of the rectal emission. Uh, he seems to want to blame somebody off camera. He's, he's scrambling now, okay? This is a man who is panicked. This is like a man who you know, lets out a fart in the office break room uh, because he's alone only to have somebody walk into the room three seconds later. And now it's only him and the other person and the putrid stench. And they both know what happened. So what's he going to do? Is he going to face up to it or is he going to come up with a wild story? Swalwell, of course, lacks the honor to own his deeds and the deeds of his lower intestines. And there are fart truthers out there right now who want to ins- want to kind of assist him in this cover-up, uh, coming up with elaborate conspiracy theories. Some people are even blaming Chris Matthews. Okay, Chris Matthews, the elderly man, engaging in stereotypes and say, well, he's the older guy. Of course, he's the one who farted. Accusing Matthews of, of framing Swalwell, which, if that were true, would, would be completely awesome. It would actually make... Chris Matthews, maybe one of the great American heroes um, in, in our country's history, but that's not true. Okay, the wisdom of the third grader, as, as always, holds here. He who denies it indeed supplies it. And Eric Swalwell last night had an abundance of supply. He had a veritable surplus. But I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to let Swalwell's flatulence speak for itself. Let's go back to the tape. I want you to watch it again. And this time, pay close attention to Swalwell's body language and his speech patterns. So watch one more time. The evidence is uncontradicted that the president used taxpayer dollars to ask the Ukrainians to help him cheat an election. And the complaint that I've heard from... Notice how he pauses right at the crucial moment. And this, this is key right here. This is what it all comes down to. Did he pause a millisecond before ignition. 
Did he? If he did, he's guilty. Notice, too, how he slightly elevates his body. There's a slight, it's very subtle, but there's a slight turn of the body. And what he's doing is he's trying to clear passageway for a silent omission. That's what he thinks is going to happen. There's a drama unfolding in his mind and in his bowels. He knows something is coming, okay? He's, he, you can tell it in his, in his face, his facial expression. He is pregnant with, with, with dread and anticipation and the chimichanga that he had for dinner. So I want you to look. Look at this. Look at the freeze frame of his face three seconds before liftoff. This is what he looked like. Now, he knows a fart is coming. He knows what's coming. But he makes two crucial errors. He pauses right before the event. And fatally, his fart deceived him. Now, he's expecting a, a silent ejection, but instead, it burst forth with vigor. It came out announcing itself, loud and proud and opinionated. And, and you can see in Swalwell's face the dejection, the panic, the despair, that feeling of betrayal. And we've all been betrayed in this way. It's just that not usually on live TV. Um, Josh Jordan on Twitter has a slow motion video that puts, I think, all doubt to rest because here you're going to see, this is what, this is what's going to settle it. You're going to see the pause right before the fart. Watch one more time. There it is. The pause, the lift, the fart. And if you needed um, any more corroboration, here is Eric Swalwell in 2013. This is his own Twitter account. Speaking to a group of Democrats on St. Patrick's Day. His message, and this is real, I promise. This was his message. He says, may the wind always be at your back, but let your ideas move you forward. The wind at your back. Eric Swalwell knew six years ago what he was going to do. Okay, this isn't about what he knew was going to happen three seconds before. He's been planning this for years. Everything has been leading up to this moment. This was not just some errant gas passed by an innocent man on a normal Monday. This, his whole career has been leading to this. He had always planned to lull us into a false sense of security so that he could come along when we least expected, when we weren't paying attention, when we weren't prepared, when we were utterly defenseless and fart in our collective faces. Eric Swalwell, Eric Fartwell. Eric fart smell. Eric don't smell well. This man's a mad genius. And in the end, he won. This is a story for the ages, and this is a fart that will live for all time. And now a word from Brickhouse Nutrition. Have you ever wondered why so many Americans seem to be sick, unhealthy, overweight? Between the food supply, the sedentary lifestyle, Americans are in the worst shape that they've ever been. And, and that's why the team of on-staff physicians at Brickhouse Nutrition created Field of Greens. Field of Greens is an easy way for you to add fruits and vegetables to your daily routine without spending hours in the produce section, uh, without hiring a home chef or taking cheap supplements. And I know I've discovered this as a parent that just keeping a supply of produce and fruits and stuff in the house is very, very difficult um, when you've got a bunch of kids and produce is also super expensive. Field of Greens, though, that's where they come in. They're made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables. It also helps to boost your immunity using antioxidants and assist digestive health with uh, prebiotics, probiotics. It's like having a doctor nutritionist right in your kitchen. One scoop delivers a full serving of fruits and vegetables 
You just drop it in a cup of water, stir, drink it, you're done. It's also great for smoothies. Very easy, nutritional. It's got everything you want. Bottom line, this is real food, not extracts, and you will look and feel better. Go to BrickHouseWalsh.com. Get 15% off your first order just for trying it out with the promo code Walsh. That's BrickHouseWalsh.com, promo code Walsh. Okay, um, all this talk of, of farting, I think, uh, is, is a good segue here into uh, fast food, Chick-fil-A. One of the, um, now, and I'll admit, uh, although it is fast food, it's one of the less gaseous fast foods out there, uh, to its credit. But also, it had been one of the last remaining large companies to stand in defiance of PC police and the LGBT rage mob. Uh, yet they have suddenly and inexplicably caved, as you may have heard yesterday. Chick-fil-A president and chief operating officer Tim Casapolis announced in an interview that um, the, the company's no longer going to donate to certain Christian charities that the aforementioned rage mob has deemed anti-LGBT. Casapolis says that as the company goes into, quote, new markets, he wants to, quote, be clear about who we are. Wants to be clear about who we are. And who they are appears to confirm the old, you know, maxim about you are what you eat. Well, in this case, I guess they are what they serve. Uh, the website BizNow has a little bit more information. It says, quote, beginning next year, Chick-fil-A will move away from its current philanthropic structure. BizNow has learned after donating to more than 300 charitable organizations through the year, the Atlanta-based fast food chain will instead focus on three initiatives with one accompanying charity each, education, homelessness, and hunger. And which charities now are going to lose out now that Chick-fil-A has shifted focus to education, homelessness, and hunger? Well, the company has confirmed that it's breaking ties with Salvation Army, uh, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and the Paul Anderson Youth Home. In other words, it will stop donating to charities that help with education, homelessness, and hunger in order to focus on education, homelessness, and hunger if that makes any sense, which it doesn't. But of course, we know the real sin of these unfortunate organizations is not that they fail to help exactly the people that Chick-fil-A claims it wants to help, but that they're all Christian. And as LGBT protesters have been screaming ever since Chick-fil-A founder uh, uh, or CEO Dan Cathy defended biblical marriage in that interview, but seven years ago, ever since then, and they haven't gotten over it. In seven years, they couldn't get over it. But ever since then, they've been saying that the fact that um, uh, Chick-fil-A donates to Christian charities makes them anti-LGBT. The very fact that the charities are Christian makes them anti-LGBT. And finally, I guess Chick-fil-A agrees. Uh, speaking of the Salvation Army, we talked about this last week. Just last week, the pop singer Ellie Golding threatened to pull out of her halftime performance during the Dallas Cowboys Thanksgiving game because of the NFL's association with the Salvation Army. Uh, of course, Golding did relent on that threat, and every football fan wishes that she hadn't. That's one thing we really wish she would have stuck by her guns on that one, because none of us are interested in hearing a halftime performance from Ellie Golding, whoever that is. But she pulls out, or she relents on that threat, and then uh, Chick-fil-A decides to jump on the dog pile anyway, uh, a week later. Um, essentially, implicitly, endorsing this idea that the Salvation Army is, quote, anti-LGBT. Now, this change of heart is confounding because, yes, they've been boycotted on and off for the past seven years. 
yes, LGBT activists have been lashing out against them. Yes, they've been accused of making hate chicken, whatever that is. And if that if that was hate chicken, then I guess hate is very is, is, is pretty tasty. It's a pretty tasty ingredient we discovered over the last seven years. Uh, I don't know if that's something they mix into the breading or something. You know, I, I mean, I've I've made fried chicken sandwiches. I can't make them as good as Chick Fil A. Maybe it's because I'm not putting enough hate into it. But anyway, yes, they they've been accused of that. But none of that has negatively affected the bottom line. In fact, the opposite was the case. The initial boycott in 2012 gave rise to Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day, which I remember. I went to Chick-fil-A that day. And there were lines literally around the block. There were lines wrapping around the store. Hundreds of people waiting in line to show their support for Chick-fil-A by eating, uh, purchasing and eating a, a tasty chicken sandwich. And the enthusiasm never really died down. Chick-fil-A rose in popularity during the intervening years, tripling its sales, becoming one of the top three restaurant chains in the country. So this was a, a, a not just an example of a company uh, refusing to relent to an outrage mob, but this was a company thriving in spite of it, and I think partially because of it. Now, most people who have been Chick-fil-A customers over the last seven years, myself included, we weren't going there just because of all this. We were going there because we liked the food. But I think most of us, and I know I've, I've done this before, there have been times when you're not really sure what you're in the mood for and you need a quick bite and you're going down a stretch of road and there's 50 different fast food restaurants all around and you're trying to decide who to go with. You decide Chick-fil-A and what Chick-fil-A stands for and their courage in standing up to the LGBT rage mob does factor into that decision. So it's sort of like when there's a tie and you're trying to decide between two options for food, that becomes a tiebreaker. At least that's how it works for me. And I suspect for a lot of other people. So this capitulation, it's not like it's going to stop the bleeding because there was no bleeding. Now there might be. So this move is much more likely to alienate Chick-fil-A supporters than to appease its critics. This is, prior to this, they had upset people who, for the most part, weren't even Chick-fil-A customers to begin with, and they were so worried about upsetting their non-customers that now they're upsetting their actual customers. That is not a smart business decision. Surrender, surrendering to political correctness never pays off, and Chick-fil-A is not going to be the exception to that rule. Now, personally, let me just say, I don't care what charities Chick-fil-A donates to. That's their decision. It's their right. Their affair. I don't care. And I'm not saying I'm going to boycott Chick-fil-A now because I'm not. Their, chick, their chicken sandwiches are still delicious. And if I'm in the mood for it and, and there's a Chick-fil-A there, I'm going to go there. And when I'm in the drive-thru ordering lunch, my primary concern is, is the food good? I'm not thinking about the politics and everything else. But it is still disappointing. And it's, it's really somewhat bewildering to see them cave like this. Uh, their refusal until now was important for reasons that have nothing to do with gay marriage or homosexuality. It was just good to have at least one major company with the stones to defy the rage mob. And it was good to see this example of them, again, doing that and thriving 
because of it. Where you see that you don't have to, not only do you not have to surrender to the rage mob, and not only will it not help you, but it may actually profit you if you don't. So regardless of the reason for their defiance of the rage mob or the issue at the center of the controversy, regardless of that, just the defiance itself was the point. It's the principle of the thing. And their surrender, on the other hand, has no point. And this is what Chick-fil-A is, is, is now going to learn the hard way, as have so many before them. You cannot appease the mob. It doesn't matter if you give them what they want. It doesn't matter if you fall to your feet, confessing your sins, begging forgiveness. All that your self-abdication will do is empower and encourage your critics. It's, it's not going to get them to forgive you. Not that Chick-fil-A had anything to be forgiven for in the first place. But this is not, we don't live in a culture of forgiveness. This is a culture of scalp claiming. This is you take the scalp. If somebody falls to your feet asking for forgiveness, you scalp them. That's, that's what we do now in this culture. Um, and so now for Chick-fil-A, yeah, they're going to happily take your scalp. They're going to celebrate the victory. And they're going to move on to their next target. You aren't their friend now. You aren't their ally. You're just a trophy on the shelf. So congratulations for that. In fact, glad the, uh, the, the gay organization, Gay and Lesbian Alliance, whatever it's called, uh, they released a statement yesterday, and I don't have the statement in front of me, but it's, 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 it shows exactly this. They didn't, re- they didn't release a statement saying, oh, we forgive you, Chick-fil-A, for your horrible hate chicken, and we're so happy, that, and we welcome you with open arms, and we're gonna, now we're all going to show up to Chick-fil-A and buy chicken. They, they didn't say that. What they basically said was, okay, good for you, but you're still bigots, you're, you're still discriminatory, you still need to do A, B, C, X, Y, Z, one, two, three, here, here are steps we still need you to follow. They're not satisfied. They're never going to be. I've mentioned before that the children's book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie, is, I think, one of the most prophetic books of our time. And in that book, that book's all about, if I remember, it's, it's been a while since I've read it, but um, in that book, you've got a, a greedy, uh, gluttonous, psychotic mouse who demands a cookie from this kid, and the kid gives the cookie and thinks that, okay, the mouse is going to be happy now because he got his cookie. But then, no, he wants a glass of milk. And then, no, he wants a napkin. And no, actually, he wants, a, you know, he wants a sandwich, too. He's still hungry. And now he wants a glass of water. And, and, and bef- before long, it's th- this kid is destitute, living on the street, homeless, and starving. That's how the book ends. It's pretty dark, at least as I recall. But the point is, you, you give them one thing, and... They want another and another and another. And, and they're just, they're never, ever satisfied. Ever. And that's what, I mean, Chick-fil-A, all they had to do was look at examples around them. Okay? Uh, Dick Sporting Goods decides to start destroying their own guns to try to make friends with the left. The left still isn't impressed. And besides, these people aren't really uh, customers of Dick Sporting Goods in the first place. These aren't sporty people. These aren't outdoorsy people who are going and buying fishing tackle or anything like that. They're not, they're not going there and buying a, you know, baseball or a football helmets or, or whatever. 
baseball gloves. They're not doing that. Um, so you've you, you've tried to appease them. They're not impressed. They're not even customers of yours to begin with, and they're not going to be now. And Dick Sporting Good has lost millions of dollars in the meantime. Boy, the Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts basically self-immolated. They just set their whole organization on fire to please the left. Said that, okay, we're not Boy Scouts anymore. You don't even have to be a boy. You'll be a girl. It's, you know, transgender, gay, everything. We're all we're bringing it all in. The left still doesn't care. They're not impressed. Now the Boy Scouts are basically bankrupt. Think of many examples of this kind of thing. The NFL appeasing the left on the anthem thing. Yet again, didn't pay off. Chick-fil-A looks at all these examples. Gillette. Okay, Gillette comes out with, a, with, a, with an ad uh, insulting their own customers, denigrating masculinity. And they, they have this ad, they offer it up on the altar as a sacrifice to the left, saying, please, masters, look what we have presented. We have, we have, we have, we have, we have burned our own customers at the stake as a, as a burnt offering to you. Do you accept our sacrifice? And the left says, nah, get out of here. You still suck. Gillette loses millions of dollars. Chick-fil-A sees all of these examples and they say, yeah, let me give that a shot. Absolutely crazy. But you know what? Popeye's is better anyway. So who cares? And now a word from Policy Genius. Tis the season to elect benefits through your workplace. Um, most people know that open enrollment is decision time for healthcare coverage, but it's, it's also the perfect moment to reassess your life insurance needs and think about what you actually need, what your family needs. To properly provide for their families, most people need 10 times life insurance coverage that they currently get through their jobs. So most people, if you're like most people on average, you're getting a tenth of what you need. Your family is getting a tenth of what they're going to need, which means that your employer life insurance is leaving you underinsured. That is where Policy Genius can help. Policy Genius is the easy way to shop for a life insurance plan that's not tied to your job. Uh, in minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. And once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork, all the red tape. They're going to take care of all that. You don't have to worry about it. So it makes it very easy on you. The life insurance you buy through Policy Genius stays with you even if you leave your job. So when you're looking at your uh, workplace benefits this month, make sure to double check your life insurance options. Then go to policygenius.com to get quotes and apply in minutes. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Okay. Um, okay. Somebody emailed this to me and I want to go over it with you because I think it's a really perfect example of how the left tends to operate, um, namely by tossing labels around with no regard for the actual reality, uh, with no attempt to be coherent in the placement of the labels that they're tossing around. So the website Pink News has a big headline. Headline is right wing religious bigot, right wing, right wing religious bigot for Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire manages to be transphobic and racist in just 27 seconds. And this, of course, is about yours truly. And that is pretty efficient of me, you have to admit. Transphobic and racist in 27 seconds? It's got to be a, a Guinness Book uh, uh, you know, record right there. But let's, let's take a look at the article and see how they, because they've made two accusations here in the headline, transphobic, racist. Let's see how they present the evidence that I am those things. It says, Matt Walsh, a frequent writer for the religious right, uh, 
I'm a frequent writer for the religious right, they say. I'm, I'm not a writer for the Daily Wire. I'm, I'm a writer for the religious right. As an organization, the, re, the religious right organization has hired me as a writer. They send me ins- assignments via email. Their email address, religiousright at gmail.com. And uh, they tell me what to write about. And so I write about them, whatever they say. Um, so it says, Matt Walsh, a frequent writer for the religious right, spoke earlier this week at the California State University, Los Angeles. The event was hosted by the Young Americans for Freedom, a conservative youth group. The Daily Wire's founder, Ben Shapiro, is a vocal right-wing campaigner who has consistently hit out against the trans and non-binary communities. While speaking in front of a packed room, Walsh said that uh, trans people cheapen womanhood and compared their existence to a costume that a man can wear. That's true. I did say both those things. He added, if it's cultural appropriation for a white man to dress like a black man, isn't it all the more appropriation for a man to dress like a woman? He went further to claim that trans people's very existence ferments confusion in the minds of children. I said foments, but really ferments works too, I suppose. And, uh, and that trans people reduce gender to an abstract concept that we theorize about. Walsh then alleged, uh, uh, Walsh then said, this is especially ironic considering the concern for cultural appropriation. Walsh then alleged that some parents first realized that their boy is a girl because he played with dolls. A boy with dolls used to be girly. Now, you, now you're saying he's literally a girl? If a boy who exhibits womanly characteristics is therefore a girl, then those gender constructs, far from being torn down, are far more potent and powerful than any conservative ever made them out to be. That was me. They were quoting me there. A number of Twitter users lit into Walsh's transphobic and racist words. And then they quote a bunch of random Twitter people complaining about me. And that's it. Okay, that's it. That's the article. You notice something here? Maybe you noticed it. Because they they came in hot with the headline and, and, and they're making big claims. Transphobic and racist in 27 seconds. There is no attempt made none at all, to actually explain how what I said qualifies as transphobic or even what transphobic actually means, because I got to be honest with you, I don't even know what that means. I, I, I'm familiar with the term. I hear it a lot. I don't know what you mean by that. Um, but you could explain it. No attempt made. Just, just didn't, even, didn't even try. And there's also no attempt made to explain why I'm wrong. So they quote me saying a bunch of stuff, and they did quote me accurately, except for the one word they got wrong, but that's fine. And, and, I'm, and I'm glad they quoted that because I'm, you know, I'm reading back the article just now, and I'm thinking, wow, I made some great points. Those are actually really good points. I got to give that speech again. So to me, I read that. Now, I'm biased, of course, because I'm the one who said it. But, but to me, I read that and I think, well, those are legitimate points. I, I don't know what the problem is here. If there's a problem, you could try to explain what the issue is. But uh, again, they, they don't even try. Um, I'm alleging that men who dress like women are appropriating womanhood. Yes, that is my allegation. I, I, yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. How is that bigoted? Explain to me how it's bigoted. Please explain it. And, and, and forget about bigoted. Just explain why it's wrong. You don't even have to, I'll let you go on the bigoted thing. I don't even care. Just uh, explain how I'm wrong. Where do I go wrong? Where's the error? See, I, I run into this all the time when I talk about this issue and I, and I make points like this, especially with things like, you know, uh, 
It's an appropriation of womanhood. In that same speech, I say that men dressing in drag is like a female blackface. Degrading, offensive, uh, a caricature, a mockery. And that's another one where I think actually the media matters. They a few days ago they they got me on the on the female blackface thing. They they posted a thing on their Twitter saying that I'm a bigot for that. Again, not explaining why is that bigoted. Also, why is it wrong? I, and I'm and I'm not exaggerating or this is I, I seriously I have yet to hear from one single leftist LGBT you know activist any any of these people. I've heard from many of them screaming at me, calling me a bigot, saying, how dare you say these things? I've heard, I've heard from them. Not a single one of them has even tried to actually engage with the point that I'm making and demonstrate why it's wrong. Not a single one. So I open the invitation again to anyone who happens to be watching this. And I know Media Matters is watching this. And so Media Matters, maybe if you want to do me a favor and you're always clipping my show and I appreciate all the promo, the promotion you do for the show. And it's really been, it's, it has been indispensable. I'm serious. And I do thank you for that. If you maybe want to clip what I'm saying right now, put it on your Twitter. I mean, this is a challenge I'm opening to any liberal, leftist, LGBT, whatever, any, any, anyone who, who disagrees with me. The points that I just read from that Pink News article, explain why I'm wrong. Try. I dare you to try because I don't think you can. It's just like the challenge I have put forth a million times about define what the word woman, what is a woman? No one's done it yet. So I, I once again, I throw it out there. Please just give it a shot. Yes, I say that a man dressing up like a woman is an appropriation of womanhood. It is the very definition of appropriation. Tell me why I'm wrong. And then hilariously, they throw in the charge of racism completely at random. The writer doesn't even get into the ballpark of explaining why I'm racist. They, this, what, racist? This, where, where are you getting that from? I think at this point, it's, it's, it's an instinct for these people. They just, they, they can't help it on the left. They... They, it's, it's, it's like it's Tourette's syndrome at this point. They hear a point they don't like, and it's just racist, transphobic, homophobic. It, it doesn't even matter what was said. Racist? Okay, you've got a lot of work to do in explaining why I'm transphobic, whatever that means. Work that, again, begins with explaining what the word even means. you got a lot of work to do there. But to explain why that is racist... Um, Go ahead. Again, I, 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 I welcome, encourage, ask for, I plead for someone to try to engage with these points. Tell me how it's racist. And, and this is why, you know, labels, we're at a point now where these labels just don't really mean anything anymore because you you've used you use them all the time and and they have become uh, synonymous with I don't agree with you so when you call what the person who wrote that headline calling me racist obviously there's nothing racist in there what they mean is I don't like this guy he makes me upset he makes my tummy hurt and 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 so this is what I'm calling that's what they mean when they say it 
And that really is a problem because, you know, um, even though I'm not sure what transphobic means, I do know what racist means. Racism is a real thing that exists in the world, not just in America, not just in white countries. It exists across the world. It's existed throughout history. It's a bad thing. It has been the starting point for many atrocities and human rights violations and, and, and all kinds of terrible, awful, bloody, uh, oppressive things throughout history. So racism is a real thing. Um, and that's what makes it all the worse that you on the left have removed all meaning from this word. And talk about cheapening and degrading things. You have cheapened the, the, the word racism. So that now when you say the, the word and you call someone racist, it could be that the person you're calling racist actually is racist because there are racist people out there. So it's possible that you could mean that. But you could also just, it could also just be a temper tantrum. It could also just be verbal diarrhea. It could just be uh, the leftist version of Tourette syndrome. And I don't know. Because of how you have hollowed out this term from your consistent, relentless abuse of it. All right, before we get to emails, um, in honor of the hilarious self-owned by Liz Warren tweeting that she's selling billionaire tears mugs on Shopify that actually are going to enrich its billionaire founder, we here at The Daily Wire are offering 20% off all uh, off all access and Insider Plus subscriptions when you use the promo code Warren Tears. And with the Insider Plus and all access, you get the incredible leftist tears, hot or cold tumbler. Today is the last day to join. So again, that's promo code Warren Tears for 20% off on your subscription. Come join the fun. Um, okay, let's go to emails. This is from Curtis, says, I've got another food to be outlawed in your benevolent dictatorship. Chili and cinnamon rolls have, have, uh, have or chili and cinnamon rolls have nothing on this one. My wife enjoys pizza dipped in applesauce. Pizza dipped in applesauce. She's trying to indoctrinate our children on this one. What are your thoughts? Curtis, listen, man. I'm not telling you that you need to get a divorce. I'm not saying that. That's for you to decide. But you need to get your children out of that house. Get them out. They cannot be exposed to this trauma. And it is your duty to protect them from it. This is from David. Uh, Thanks for the work you do. I'm a big fan of the show, apart from the potpourri. Currently living in Oxford, England. I always enjoy listening to the show as I cycle to and from work. I'm just going to move past that, David. I'll let that slide. I'll let it slide this this time. Although I live in the the UK, I am half American, a US citizen, and married to a proud Oklahoman. So I like to think that I can approach this topic from a somewhat neutral position. The monarchy in Britain, far from being a drain on the taxpayer, is a massive net contributor to the British economy. They live off 15% of the profits from their estates, pay tax. Most importantly, they draw millions of people from all around the world, and especially the U.S., to visit the U.K. The queen, who is almost universally respected, is a unifying figure because she provides a non-political head of state who is liked by most people to represent uh, the country, contrasting with the U.S. system, where 50% of the people hate the president at any given time. 
Lastly, the monarchy serves as a reminder of the history of the country, its Christian roots, and the long process by which representative democracy came to exist alongside a constitutional monarchy. Not to mention this struggle against Romish tyranny and treachery. You're, I mean, you're, you're really trying to incite me right now. I'm trying to stay focused on the monarchy topic here. Um, though it is, it is interesting to me that you are defending the monarchy based on things like tradition, preserving tradition, and then, but then you're thrown in these anti-Catholic, anti-Pope things. So I, I, I actually see a conflict there. But anyway, well, I, uh, I am not saying by any means that the UK system is perfect or better than the American one, but I thought I would let you know some positive reasons to keep hold of this tradition. I hope I will see you at a UK tour sometime in the future. Um, yeah, I, I, I understand the arguments on the monarchy, not the anti-Catholic stuff. Uh, I understand what you're saying. And I, as I said yesterday, I think preserving tradition is a wonderful thing. And I think we should do it. Um, and I think knowing your history is a wonderful thing. But that's also where things like museums come into play. So you could have a museum where people go and they learn their history and they learn about their traditions. That's all great. My concern is, and, and this stemmed, as you recall, from talking about Prince Andrew the playing the BBC interview, he has been accused, credibly accused, I would say, of raping a child. He was a pal of Jeffrey Epstein, who was a well-known sex trafficker and pedophile, convicted at the time when Prince Andrew was known to have hung out with him and stayed at his house. And he's basically impervious from, maybe not, maybe he, maybe not technically legally, but he's in effect impervious. And he can get up there and make these, offer these excuses that are really the worst alibis I've ever heard. Where he actually says that he couldn't have been the one who did it because he didn't sweat at the time. Stuff like that. So the way that this figurehead faux royalty offers a cover for criminals and alleged uh, sex predators... That to me is a big problem. And I don't know if it makes it, if the, if the tradition and the, the tourists, I don't know if that really compensates for that rather big legal and moral downside. This is from Joe says, Joe here, big fan of the show. Since we're on the topic of Kaepernick and his recent antics, I thought I'd weigh in and run past you what I think is really going on here. The NFL settled with Cap for $50 million. How many employers do you know that are eager to hire someone that just sued them? Every owner in the league knows that if they bring him on, the consequences would far outweigh any benefit. They don't actually want him. Cap has over $150 million. Do you really think he wants to be a backup QB in the league? He and Nike just want to control the narrative. He doesn't want to play. He doesn't want to debate. He wants to play SJW without any resistance at all. It's basically political posturing on both sides. Cap needs to do something to remain relevant. He needs to earn his Nike dollars. Nike wants him to do stuff like this. They signed him to a $100 million contract to be an SJW, not a football player. He has to perform somehow. This is the perfect opportunity for him to do that. The NFL is willing to take a stand for anything that hurts their ratings and is trying to play both sides of the fence. So they're obviously going to show up and play along with Cap and pretend they're woke, but at the same time dedicated to vets, flags, flag, and country. Really, they still just haven't figured out a way to handle the situation and have an ounce of t- integrity. The NFL paid Cap $50 million for him to go away. He's not going away. He's going to keep putting the pressure on them in the future, and they'll continue to cower and fumble through awkward and neutral responses towards him. 
Meanwhile, Kaepernick and Nike win as they keep their narrative alive and kicking in the global spotlight stronger than ever. All they need is an occasional appearance from their SJW icon. I agree 100% with everything you said. And I would, I would again, emphasize that we see uh, an analogy here between the NFL and their approach to this and the anthem and Kaepernick with trying to appease and how that hasn't worked out for them. And, and they've lost money in the meantime, and it, has, it, hasn't, it, it hasn't satiated the critics at all. So you see an analogy between that and what Chick-fil-A has just done. And I think they're going to suffer a very similar fate. Finally, this is from Carla. Hi, Matt. I listen to your show every day as I pick up around the house. Your schedule comment made me literally laugh out loud, which is a little odd when you're home alone. My question is, how would you like me to respond to my kids, ages 26 and 20, when they make fun of me for quoting you on a regular basis? As soon as I lead off with, I heard on the Matt Walsh show today, the ridicule starts. I figured what better way to come back at them than a specific quote from you. You want a quote for your traitorous children. Okay, I'll give you one. How about get out of my house and never come back? You have disgraced the family name. You are disowned. Get out! That's, that's your quote. And I want you to say it exactly like that. And then watch them leave your life forever. And I know they're your children, and I know that you, you, you love them, or at least you did before this. But we got to draw lines. And honestly, if they're, they don't, not, so it's not only that they, that they don't listen to my podcast, but they, they make fun of you for quoting it. There are, you know, we, we like to talk about unconditional love, but let's be real. There are conditions, and this is one of them. But thanks for listening anyway. I appreciate it. And thanks, everybody, for watching. Um, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay, supervising producer Mathis Glover, supervising producer Robert Sterling, technical producer Austin Stevens, editor Donovan Fowler, audio mixer Mike Coromina. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2019. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. Mm -hmm.